0: money you can't really get through life without it some people use it to define success others use it to attain freedom whatever your motivation you need to know how to earn it how to use it and how to grow it this is tilly money
1: our guest today is margaret lomas For a decade, Margaret hosted two weekly property investment shows on Sky News Business and is also the best-selling author of eight property investment books. In addition to being the founder and director of Destiny Financial Solutions, Margaret is the past chair and current board member of the Property Investment Professionals of Australia and past board member of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. She's also a Telstra New South Wales Businesswoman of the Year winner and Westpac Business Owner of the Year recipient, and was voted one of Australia's 100 Women of Influence in 2015. Margaret, welcome to the Tilly Money podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And you know, we've spoken on a number of occasions, and I think it was a while ago when we actually sat down and had lunch together, Margaret. And I know you're you're up on the central coast there and um you know that year of what was covid that stopped a lot of activities for a lot of us but uh, we must do that again but let's it's get in. In. yeah let's get into the nitty-gritty though today because we have an audience of women largely that uh, Tilly Money is directed towards and they love knowing about money you know and we know that money is made up of various asset classes and one of them is property and that's your area of expertise so that's where we want to talk largely about today while also knowing a few secrets maybe that you've never revealed about Margaret Lomas so okay (laughs) okay, you might share something like that with us too but I know you lived in Perth for a while and then you moved over to New South Wales you're quite the achiever Margaret And you've won won a lot of awards, as we've said, and you've got titles behind you and great credibility in the property area. But can you give us a little insight to how you got to where you are as the respected property advisor that you are?
0: Mm. Well, look, my life is certainly very different than it started out to be when I first left home. Uh, When I was 18, I was an exchange student to Indonesia for a year I came back and I think the first thing that I did when I got back, being very restless after having a year away um, and a fair amount of freedom back then, the nineteen, the late 70s in, in Indonesia was a time of fairly good freedoms for women um, and, you know, that certainly changed these days. But I came home and I was quite restless and I wanted to make a change to my life. But, you know, in the 70s, it was a little bit harder, I guess, for women in that you didn't typically just up and leave home and go out on your own. Some women did, but I didn't really have the courage to do that at the time. So, I think the first eligible male that came along, I grabbed hold of him. And <laughs> got there and down.
1: Well, there's a confession, it, I think.
0: <laughs> a confession. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of what uh, it was. It was almost what you did then. I was. Uh, 19 years of age I, I had just gotten a job in the bank Bank of New South Wales at the time uh, because I hadn't uh, I'd finished school but I hadn't done any university qualifications and I met this man and just needed money and the only way I could do that was to get jobs so I got a job in the bank and we settled down but at no time did I really think through whether or not this person was the right person to share my life for for the rest of my life and and as, as was often the case back then, you know, I was 21 when I got married and it was fairly clear reasonably quickly that we really didn't have a lot in common. Having said that, we did go on and have three children and that's what you did as well, you, those things. Um, but often when you're well, having
1: children, Margaret, you're so busy that you almost put yeah. knowing your partner on the side because you haven't got time to find out if this is the right person for you. You're so busy doing all that's involved in raising children. So that kind yeah. of comes a little
0: bit more slowly. Mm. Uh, and I think you're right. I, I think not only, I mean, we were young when we got married. We were both probably not mature enough to take on a life, but everyone at 21 did it in the 70s. And, I, um, you know, we got married. We, we never had a lot of money. He was a tradesperson. We didn't have a lot of money. We did move over to Perth from Sydney seeking a better employment opportunity for him. And I tailed along, but I was fairly resourceful even back then. So I did whatever I needed to do in order to make ends meet, which is pretty much how we were living. We were living from week to week, too much week left at the end of our money, a, a, a pretty you know, classic way that young people often start their lives together. So I was quite resourceful and I did a lot of things during that time. I started my own business making uh, baby accessories and baby clothes and selling them to baby stores. Mm. Well, that, was highly, I, that was
1: highly relevant to what you were doing at the time too with the three yeah. kids, yeah, So Yeah,
0: mm. well, it was something I could do yeah. with the kids in tow as yeah. well. Um, I ran uh, kindy gym classes at the local YMCA. I started, I opened my own shop. I, I basically did everything I needed to do to bring in money but you know, it didn't take me long to realise that we weren't happy together and that all I was doing was kicking down the road a little. The problem with every new venture I would take on. The problem just kept being ignored and eventually I knew that I had to make a move and I did. So three children under five, uh, no family anywhere within 4,000 kilometres and I made the decision to leave and go out on my own. Um, And it was around about the same time that I also Got a new job back in the corporate world running a community based service which um, was funded by the government and helped unemployed people find work. So I was working 20 hours a week then and three kids and trying to just make ends meet. It was a tough time, yeah, very tough time.
1: Yeah, I bet it was, but you did it. Yes. So um, as, as we, we do when you're in those kind of situations. So you went, were you still in Perth at this time?
0: still in Perth, Mm -hmm. Um, my family all still here on the eastern seaboard. Mm. So I I think, you know, this is a money podcast and I think probably the first ever money decision, wise money decision that I had to make that came at that time. So rather than just think about the fact that I needed to bring in money to plug that gap between what was coming in and what was going out. There's a lot of reasons why that was happening in my family that I don't really need to go into here. But the the first decision that I made around money, the first conscious decision that I made around money, I was 29 years old at the time. And, you know, we'd been just, you know, coasting along doing what we could was uh, when I was separated and I had the opportunity to take on this job, which was 20 hours a week. And it was more the kind of work that I was used to from my time in the bank. When I worked in the bank, I was actually a training officer. Um, so I worked in the training department. So the, the decision that I needed to make at the time was, do I take on this 20-hour-a-week job and actually earn less than I could earn being on a sole parent's pension? Because by the time I was paid and then paid the childcare that was required for me to go and work, I had less money in the hand than I would have, had I chosen to stay home. And two things were very clear to me at the time. The first one was that working was about more than money, Um, that working was about networks, being in the right place at the right time, learning new skills and having an opportunity to get ahead. And the second thing I realised is that if I wanted to develop myself a little more, I needed to be working, not staying at home all the time um, just looking after children because I could a bit more money i also came from a family of people who worked hard with a good work ethic so it didn't sit well with me uh to be a welfare recipient at the time that doesn't mean i don't appreciate that some people need to do that but for me it didn't sit well and therefore my motivation was i just needed to go out there and work no
1: no i t- totally understand what you're saying so what where, what came next? You were doing the 20 hours, obviously, as you said, the important things, you were meeting people, you were out there networking, chance meetings happen. You know, did that occur? What, what was the next thing that opened up to you?
0: Yeah, look, it absolutely occurred. Uh, my job was I ran a, a service where I would get uh, people who had previously had successful businesses or successful jobs and I would train them to be mentors for unemployed people and I'd match them up under this mentor scheme Uh, i was able to and and i I reported to a board of volunteers i was able to create that job into a bigger job than it was and actually get myself more hours so it became very busy i was able to apply to the government for more funding i was very good at writing these submissions i'm not sure why i was it was just i guess i'm a writer so um and i'm a writer by nature so Funding submissions were easy for me to write. And so I would write funding submissions. I'd be getting funding left, right and centre. I created more work for myself. But I also uh, managed to take the scheme, it was called, uh, to an office inside what was known in Western Australia as a Skillshare building. And Skillshare was another government-based service to train people. And being in that building in my office where I would rent a small office from them put me in touch with other people in training. And pretty soon they realized I had training skills and I was getting more work as a trainer. And that actually all then led to me starting my own training company oh, really? called the mm-hmm. Company. And interestingly enough, not many people know this little fact, but um, back then it was before all of this workplace trainer category six and seven and all those things uh, train the trainer. Was the very first ever course to train people to be trainers, and I actually invented that.
1: Wow! Wow! Congratulations! I know that phrase very well, and it's interesting when you say that you like writing because in the intro I said you've written eight books. So, mm-hmm. so, and I know that you write profusely on websites um, like Switzer, and uh, and you're a good writer, I might add. But uh, so again, if you hadn't have taken that job opportunity you know you're developing skills you're networking you know you get to a point where you're seeing how well you're doing so it must be the idea of gee I could run a small business myself came into your mind.
0: Yeah and look the thin threads as I like to call them are even thinner than that in my progression because by this time um, I was quite successful in that job I'd met my new husband by then and we'd gotten married and had a couple of more children. So we added more children, but all during that time throughout children, I was able to continue work for this community-based service. They were very flexible. I was able to take the baby in or my husband who was a police officer at the time, he'd do shift work and he'd bring the baby into me to feed and take, wow. take him back wow. again. And really worked our entire, we were both very hard workers we mapped this, manufactured this life around our jobs and our kids, and so I kept working for them. Um, and but I still had this real desire to continue to um, create more opportunities for myself. So I can remember it was uh, when PC had really first come out, and we had gotten a PC at work, we all very excited. We, we got the funding and got the the PC, and I learned how to use it. It was. Um, MS DOS at the time, oh, yeah. none of this Windows. Um, and you know, I was I'm an early adopter of technology of all sorts. No trouble with that. Um, so it didn't take me long to convince my husband at the time that we needed to invest in a computer for home because I was very good at writing resumes and application letters for people, uh, and I knew that I could do that as a bit of a side hustle. So we got the computer at home. I advertised in the local paper. People would come around. Um, to my place and I'd write them resumes and application letters and I'd charge I think $15 for a resume and $10 for an application letter and it was all extra money because we all what, what we were trying to do was pay our mortgage off we bought a house together we really wanted that mortgage paid off. And this one particular night one of the young men who was coming around to get to pick up an application letter said to me I need to go home quickly because I've got someone coming to tell me how to pay off my mortgage early. And I said, oh, would well, tell him to come to my place. I want to pay off my mortgage early. No. So I got a call the next day from the guy and he made a time. And he came around and he showed me this brand new system, which is quite well known now, uh, called Mortgage Reduction. And it involved using a credit card and a special kind of mortgage and paying off your loan earlier. So I said to him, look, I think it's a great idea, but I'm not going to pay you to implement that for me. I'm going to implement it myself but I'm going to work for you and show other people how to do it. Mm. Always on the lookout for more opportunities. So I started working part-time for him alongside all the other things I was doing, raising five children, working for the community-based service, doing resumes and application letters at night, and a couple of nights a week going out and visiting other people's homes and introducing them to this system of mortgage reduction. And again, it wasn't long before my husband and I, he was working for the Bureau of Criminal Intelligence at the time, Mm -hmm. worked out that while we really liked the system, we weren't happy really with the company that I was working for and we could do it better ourselves. And hence, Destiny Financial Solutions was born in Mm.
1: 1997. Wow. Well, see, as I've been talking to you, uh, listening to you, Margaret, it's funny because I know a lot of our audience like the idea of going out on your own, setting up a business. And what I and you really need to understand your own self to be a business owner because you've got to have certain inherent traits. And while listening mm. to you, I came up with four of them. Like firstly, you take risks. You know, the fact that you, you know, went into one job 20 hours a week and then you, you know, moved into another one and set up offices, you know, You might not think it's risky because you're entrepreneurial, but a lot of people couldn't do that kind of change because it's risk-taking. Even as Mm -hmm. you said something about you advertised, you know, your services in the local newspaper, some people wouldn't even risk, you know, that kind of thing as well. Another thing that you mentioned was it was really networks were really important. You understood the power of the network. And then you talked about being, and this is a very important one, an early adopter of technology And finally, you said that you were always looking for opportunities, you know, so Mm -hmm. straight away for someone listening to this, you know, you can see what someone like Margaret, your personality is very entrepreneurial. And I'm sure that you'd agree because I can see a a vision of you at the moment, you know, on the screen and you're nodding and you've you've got the entrepreneur inside you. And uh, would you agree?
0: I would to, to an extent. My father had his own business my whole life. At the end of his business, when he was in his late 50s, the Department of Main Roads put a road through it. Oh, wow. And assumed his land and paid him a fraction of its true worth and he moved to new premises that weren't as well located and over the the ensuing years uh, went into liquidation. He only moved premises because he had people working for him that he felt responsible for, but one by one he had to put them off anyway and he ended up in retirement with hardly any money Um, and... He didn't take big risks in his life. And it's interesting that you say that I'm a risk taker, but I'd like to think, or I'd, I'd like to point out that back then I was a really reluctant risk taker, and so was my husband. We had big stakes there. We had five children, and we did have a mortgage. And while we took risks at the time, we weren't the kind of people really to ever burn our bridges. So we only took risks insofar as I might have started a business, but I never let go of that full-time job that I had on this, you know. As well, my husband didn't let go of his job until we were very sure that that business was going to make us money. We always had something behind us, but we did come to a crossroads, Um, and this in itself is an interesting story, particularly for someone who doesn't think of themselves as risk takers. we got to the point where we knew that we had a business opportunity or a business idea and, and we were in business and we were we were doing that business and essentially our business at the beginning had nothing to do with property. It was just all about financial coaching and helping people to manage their money better and, and write budgets and pay off their mortgages earlier. We knew that we had something that was a good idea. We knew that we could do it better than anyone else was doing it, but we also had a feeling that, We needed to be on the East Coast because opportunities were bigger there than they could be in Perth. Now, anyone from Perth listening to this, I love Perth very much. And, you know, my heart is in Perth often. And I think it's a beautiful place to raise children, but it is isolated. The time differences do make business a little tricky at times, particularly during daylight savings, even with technology. And remember back there, we had limited technology available. You know, the internet had only just been developed and we didn't know much about it. So we felt we needed to be on the East Coast. And we made the decision that we were both going to give up our jobs, that we were going to sell our house and that we were going to burn every bridge and move to the East Coast. And we did that in 1996. And when we moved, we had $80,000 in the bank and a dream to build a business. Had five children, we put them in school. We got a rental property near where my mum was so mum and dad could help out if needed. And then we hit the pavements in the old way, which was letterbox drops and all of that sort of thing. And after about six months, it became apparent to both of us that it wasn't working. We weren't getting cl- enough clients to make any money. We'd gone from 80000 which was a reasonable amount of money back in the day, down to 20,000 in the bank we made the decision that one of us needed to get a full-time job just to support the family. And I I had gone out on on a particular day to drop some more letterboxes off. I was going around to businesses to see if I could get businesses interested. Um, And when I came home, my husband said to me, look, I've made a call to the radio station because I heard an ad today saying that you could advertise on radio for, for about 400 and upward. So we needed to talk to them. So they're coming tomorrow. They came around, listened to what we needed, went away, came back a couple of days later and proposed a strategy to us where we had an advertising campaign that was going to cost us $18,000. Mm. Remember, we only had 20 in the bank mm. at the time. Mm. Now, in order to get the children to be happy about the move from Perth to Sydney and leaving all of their friends, I'd mentioned to them that we wouldn't be that far from movie world and that we could possibly <laughs> take them to mm. movie world. Mm. So after 24 hours of thinking about it, we decided that what we would do is we would spend the 18000 on the last-ditch effort to make business work, and with the remaining 2000 we would take the kids to movie world. That's exactly what we did, and the, um, the radio station prepared us and said, look, when the radio ad first get, goes on air, it's going to take a while for frequency. Don't be too stressed if you don't get calls. So I said, "Well, look, we'll go to Movie World for the first week," and they went, "That's perfect." So on the day of the first ad, we decided to uh, divert our phones to our mobile phone. We were still working out of a home office at the time. We jumped in the car, put all the kids in the back, and somewhere around Tari, it was around about nine o'clock. The news went on, and then our ad was queued up for just after the news. So nine o three, the first ad went. Nine o four, our phone started to ring, oh, and goodness. Didn't. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. By the time we hit the Gold Coast, uh, we had three months' worth of uh, appointments every night of the week, Mm. and all day Saturdays and Sundays. And we just hit the ground running when we came home, and that's where destiny really took off. Really.
1: Well, that $18,000 certainly paid off and I know yeah. and I respect the fact that you say that you don't take risks and I'm sure that given I am I know, you know, um, how sensible you are and what destiny is in terms of such a stable business, but for anyone listening, that sounds like you're a risk taker, Margaret. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we
0: look back now and say yeah. what were we yeah. really? Yeah. But, yeah. You know, we had children to feed and rent to pay, and we just we suddenly, we, we've always had faith in each other. So we've always I think having a, a strong partner of some description, whether it be a spouse or a friend or a, a relative, having someone who is th- that on that other side of you, I think does help. We always have faith in each other. So I knew that at the end of the day, if I couldn't make it work and provide, then my partner was going to be there as a backup and he's always felt that way about me. So I think when we did make that decision to burn those bridges, we didn't think it through enough really. And obviously we're glad that we didn't, didn't but just, we didn't yeah, really yeah. mm-hmm. We just suddenly went, oh my gosh, what have we done? Here we are. My husband says he can remember that, we're, because he's a Perth boy and he can remember that when we first hit here, it actually rained for six weeks non-stop, and he'd come from dry old Perth where you barely see a drop, and he all he could think of was, what have I done? I've <laughs> left my sunshine in yeah, this place that yeah, just rains yeah, all the time.
1: Yeah, so, yeah amazing. But, uh, I mean, you've got each other's back, and as you, you said quite rightly, and that's so important, but who else was helping you along the way or was it really just your own resources you jumped into the deep end and you know you taught yourself to swim fast I would imagine but were you turning to mentors were you reading books were where where was this kind of ability to stay focused and keep going where did that come from
0: we were definitely both readers and that is the one thing that I think is important Um, I didn't have a mentor as such when I was younger Although, having said that, I did look up to my father. We had a very close relationship. I was devastated when he passed away suddenly at 77. We had a close relationship. He didn't mentor me as such, but he definitely led by example with a very strong work ethic. So I grew up in a family with a strong work ethic. We didn't have, we didn't necessarily have money. We weren't. You know, we, I, I was never conscious that we were short of money, but I was always conscious that we did definitely didn't have any more than we needed to to live a reasonable life. We had a holiday a year to Crescent Head, and, you know, that was the, the sum total of it. And for the rest of the time, Dad worked very hard. He'd come home from work. He was an electrician. He'd come home from work, and he'd be straight after dinner, straight down to the, the shed to do some more work. And, that you know, I grew up with that strong work ethic. Um, but... You know, I didn't have a mentor as such, and but Ruben and I have both been avid readers and Ruben even more so than me. So he's always feeding in, feeding in all the time. I tend to have a shorter attention span than Ruben has and I often say to him, he'll say to me, here's a great book, you should read it. And my my common um, answer to that is often, can you just give me the executive summary? (laughs) Because I've always been, I work at a million miles an hour. I've always been conscious that I'm holding this, you know, when they were little, this family together of five kids, I wanted to raise them in a way that was respectful and caring and yet I also had a thousand jobs I had to do. So I definitely had a thousand balls in the air at the one time and always frightened that I was going to drop one. So when Ruben said he's a great book, I'm thinking I do not have time to read a book unless you know, 2am, mm. just tell me the crux. Yes, yeah. So we, we have a good relationship like that too mm. in that um, he can read things or li- he listens most of the podcasts these days and he understands my need to just get the basics of it and, mm. to, and he delivers that He delivers to me. that too. So mm. we were both definitely feeding in, feeding in all the time like that and, and having, I guess you get belief in yourself by doing that. It's easier to lose belief in yourself. But... I I need to tell you there's also always, I think everyone can talk to a little bit of an element of either luck or cards falling their way. Uh, I have an equal number or even more incidences of cards not falling my way as well. Um, And some pretty terrible things in my past in terms of things that have happened to me that I've had to survive. But in terms of something going our way, After we'd started the business going really well, we were six months into profit. So the business had been running here on the East Coast for a year, six months of losing all our money, six months of getting it back again. We decided that we wanted to buy a house. And we're being finance brokers at the time, we were quite aware that we were going to struggle to qualify for Mm -hmm. a loan because we didn't have our two years of business um, finances. But we thought we'd apply for it anyway and we we – we bid off more than we can chew, which is a, a lovely expression that my good friend, Noel Whittaker, is always telling me. Mm. Bite off more than you can chew, like man. Mm. So we found a house that was way out of our price bracket, really, um, and we applied to the bank. And after a couple of weeks, we hadn't heard anything, and the lovely la- local lady who helped us with our, our loans at the time, I uh, said to her, what's happening, Kate? I, you know, are they going to accept the loan or reject it? And she said, look... It's on the desk of the credit manager, and she said what his name was. I'm not going to say what that mm. name is or what the bank was, but I said, you know what, that name really, really rings a bell mm. to me. Mm. Does he have a wife called? And I said, and, yep. and she, I, I think he does. Um, and I said, well, you know what, I'm sort of kind of related to him <laughs> in that my ex-husband, uh his wife is it makes husbands first cousin. Mm-hmm. And when we were first dating, the four of us used to double date. So wow. I said, give mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I rang him up and he answered the phone very officially. And I said, oh, hello, it's Margaret Lomas. And he only knew that name because Lomas was my new married name mm-hmm. from my loan application. Uh-huh. And I said, look, I'm just calling about my loan application. And he said, yep. And I said, well, I'm just wondering how that's going. And I said, I also wondered whether I sound familiar to you. Mm-hmm. And he said, Well, oh, should you? And I said, yeah, well, my <laughs> name's Margaret and you might know me better as Margaret Quinn, which is my first married name. Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, Quinny, mm-hmm. why did you? Yeah. Okay. So he probably shouldn't have given me the loan, but he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really made a big difference to mm-hmm. us. We went to a house which then went up in value yes. reasonably really quickly, got us some equity, By then, we'd become interested in property investing, Uh, couldn't find information anywhere about how to invest in property. No one had, Jan Summers had written a book, but that's the only information available. Um, We started to invest in property, worked it all out for ourselves. And as we did so, our clients said, you need to teach us how to do what you're doing. And hence, the transformation into becoming a, a property advisory business instead. And, and me writing books about the, the subject. Yeah, that
1: that's a good story, Margaret. You've taught yourself something because you had to and then whatever you've taught yourself becomes part of the business service that you offer others. And so is that what Destiny Financial Solutions is today? Is Tell, tell us a bit more about Destiny today. Destiny has
0: been what I believe to be a real pioneer in the industry. So uh, when we first began to offer people advice on how to buy property, It was really the first time that anyone or any company had offered property advice without selling a property. So up until then, there were a lot of spruikers out there who were linked with developers. And they might say, well, we can give you advice on how to buy property. But in reality, the advice was all targeted around you buying a property that they could sell to you. And make a reasonable amount of commission from so developers offer very big commissions on the sale probably sometimes 40 and fifty thousand dollars. and so these property companies sprung up but we didn't want to do it that way we decided that we would like to have more of a financial advising model where we charge a reasonable fee to the client to help them to learn more about how to buy property well to understand you know, what makes property grow, to not buy that house next door or down the road just because you think it looks good, but to really understand the economics of property investing and to buy property wherever it exists to give you a good yield and good overall potential growth. So you're buying rather, on rational and, principles, not emotionally, yeah. Absolutely. Buy it on on basic financial mm, principles mm. rather than if you like the look of it or your mate says, you know, that's a great property or the real estate agent says this is a great investment because, so I just don't know that. Um, and so slowly as we went along and our clients wanted this kind of support from us, we were probably only one step ahead of the clients in learning and then passing on the information. Um, but I'm a fast learner and I learn things very quickly and together with, with Ruben, we, you know, we we began to really understand the property market from that financial and economic perspective a lot better than anyone ever had. So, um, that was about the time that I started to write my first books about it because I really wanted people to buy property because it was an investment, not because yep. it was a piece of real estate. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference mm. between those two terms.
1: And so, do you include even your home in that? So would you um, would you say you view your home as an investment or, or it's just what I, you I buy I after? Don't.
0: Hmm. I generally don't because I think if people include the value of their home in their net worth, then they're forgetting about the fact that they've got to live somewhere for the rest of their life. And unless they downsize, they can't really gain anything out of that home. It doesn't matter how much a home is worth. You've got to live in it. So it's not getting anything except potentially leverage into more property uh, by, by providing equity to borrow against the bank. But I, I prefer people to consider their net worth without their own home. And I think if you treat your home as an investment, then... That's no good because you want to live somewhere that you like for a whole lot of personal reasons, not because it's a good investment. So often people will live in a property that's not a good investment at all, but they just love the property. They might overpay, or it might have features that would make it a terrible, deal, but they buy it because it's right for them personally. It's a lifestyle it's more than an investment. So, so we so we then started, you know, developing um, Destiny, and nobody else was doing what we were doing. Interestingly. And um, it was around about that time that I noticed that there's a lot of really bad people in the industry and that I needed to do something about that as well. So that's when um, I started the Property Investment Professionals of Australia, which is a not-for-profit body designed to provide some kind of supervision and governance to this burgeoning property industry. Mm. Um, And are you still involved with that? Still involved. I was the chair for a long time. I then stepped aside and a couple of other people have been chaired, but I'm still involved there. We've been lobbying uh, the the federal government for probably 15 years now to try to bring in some kind of regulation to govern the industry. They're just not interested. It's been a long, hard slog for us. We're not. Every step we make forward, we make two steps back, and they're just not they're just not listening. They're just not going to provide what we need there. But you know, meanwhile, the property property investment. Professionals of Australia aims to, I guess, provide some guidance for consumers when they're looking for someone to help them buy property around, you know, what's reasonable for someone to charge, what should you look for. If they're selling a property to you as well, then they're not giving you independent advice, all that kind of stuff that consumers just can't navigate themselves. Does it
1: have a website, Margaret?
0: It does. It's pipa.asn.au. Pippa
1: as in P-I-P-A? Okay, great. I'm sure people listening would like to, to look that up. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal
0: partner, Mortgage Choice.
1: For almost 30 years, Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers have been helping Australians just like you realise their property ownership goals. They put your best interests as their top priority because they work for you, not lenders. Whether you are looking to buy your first home or investment property, or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions show you what's available and do the legwork for you. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 13 77 62 to speak to your local broker today. Just um, a final few closing questions, because somehow or other I've got to rope you back in again, Margaret, because you know um, I think we share a common view about wanting to lift financial literacy. and in the case of Tilly, it's financial literacy for women. Um, and I'd love to talk to you to you more, you know, if your time allows. but just for today, you know you mentioned you know that young Margaret, um, where well you said Quinn was your married um, name at the time, but then who was she before
0: Quinn? Ruby, R-U-B-I-E, Ruby.
1: so young Margaret Ruby, if you go back to the time, I think you said you were married very early 20s, but just before you were married, and probably you might say, oh, don't get married too young, but if you could go back and have a chat with her, you know, and just sit down for a while and chew the fat and just, you know, if she'd listen, what would you say to her?
0: In regard to money, um, I would... Tell her to listen to the 29-year-old Margaret, who I can still recall um, the day, you know, when when I left my ex-husband, we had small debts and money owing all over the place and we just, you know, things hadn't been managed well at all uh, through a variety of reasons at the time. And and I can remember coming home from work one day and I had the three kids, they were all under five. As I said, I picked them up from daycare they were having a bad day, I was having a bad day. And I got a knock on the door from someone. I, I'd actually I had raised enough money and a, a, a low income earners loan to be able to buy my ex-husband out. So I had bought him out of the house, but I had no money. Um, and when we owned the house together, we hadn't paid our rates for a couple of years. And this particular council decided that they'd play tough and start arresting people for not paying their rates. Mm. So um, I can remember answering the door with a little baby on my hip and here is a guy who has come to arrest me. afraid. Mm. So it was um, one of the local sheriffs. So he took a bit of pity on me and said look I'm going to give you 24 hours to pay it I, you know I'll come back. I remember going onto the lounge and sitting down and crying and what I said to myself was two things. I said the first thing that I I told myself was I would never, ever be in that position again. It was just horrible for me. I would never, ever be in that position again. And the second thing that I told myself was that in order to never be in that position again, then what I needed to do was I needed to think differently about money. And instead of looking at opportunities that might come my way with suspicion and go, well, that could be another scam or why would I try that or I wouldn't be able to do that, Instead, I promised myself that every single opportunity that ever came my way in terms of the capacity to make money, I'd look at it, I'd try it, and I would only reject it once it didn't work for me rather than reject it before I even tried it. And that's what then got me on the road to listening to different ideas. I mean, I tried everything. I tried network marketing, decided it wasn't for me, but I tried it. So I I tried everything that came along had a go. When it didn't work, at least I could say I gave it a go. So that's what I'd tell young Margaret. I'd tell her to look at opportunities and rather than be suspicious about them or reject them because you think you can't do them or make a decision about them without even trying them, then you need to give them a go first and then reject them Mm. if you need to. That's so true. And I have to say this, but there is a ruby in that advice. Yeah,
1: that's good advice Uh for any young woman to take. Margaret, it's been wonderful talking to you today. And um, I really would like to talk to you again because we'd even like to get some questions from our listeners and subscribers. And maybe you might take those and answer them for us.
0: I've put you in the spot there, haven't I?
1: No, I'd love to do that. That's my life
0: has been about answering questions Mm. for people. It's one of the things that I've always done. I, you know, you would know, Maureen, that I give away a huge amount of information, you You know, there's Mm. no secrets me. No. I d I don't think in order to do well in business I need to keep things secret. Mm. If someone wants to know something, I'm more than happy to share. Yeah, no, I'll do
1: that. And you know, I know that we've got great respect for destiny and both yourself and Ruben. And you know I know Peter Switzer, you know, who you as you know, I'm i have been with Peter for years. You know, he feels exactly the same and has done a lot of work with you over the years too. So whatever you can do to help us spread the word of Tilly Money, um, because we certainly would you at the forefront of our mind for you know quality um property advice too so thanks for your time
0: margaret thank you your host this week was maureen jordan if you enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts to keep up to date with all of our content follow us on instagram at tilly.money thanks to Ixon for our intro music